Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. This is part of the larger Leadership Hour on AM 970. The answer. We usually have the answers here. Every Sunday at 2 p.m. you can check us out. And also our podcast is being sent out to thousands and thousands of opinion leaders, people who matter, including people who are listening right now. Mary Gamba in the studio with me, my co-host. What is it that you love about the Leadership Hour? Well, I love that we rebranded the Leadership Hour. It used to be just Steve Adubato's Leadership Hour, and now we added- And what added, was wrong with that? It was kind of boring and bland until you added the With Mary Gamba to it officially in our copywritten logo. So I'm very excited to be a part of the official brand of the Leadership Hour. You're saying I wasn't enough as part of you the You were good, but I bring a lot of great, valuable information to the program, so. I, I liked it the old way. Oh, fine. <laughs> Nice. This is the Leadership Hour. By the way, tell folks real quick how they can find us, Mary. Absolutely. So you can follow us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter at Steve Adubato. You can subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcast and Google Play. And you can also find out a lot of valuable articles and about your book, Steve, which is Lessons in Leadership at our website, stand-deliver.com. Great stuff. And we'll thank all of our underwriters and sponsors led by the folks at New Jersey Resources who have helped make this happen and all of our great clients at Stand and Deliver, including the great Gibbons Law Firm. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the Gibbons Law Firm, why don't we welcome our friend, colleague, trusted advisor, Patrick Dunnigan, who is, in fact, the chairman and managing director at Gibbons PC. Patrick, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Good to be with you, Steve and Mary. I think you owe me a thank you. I know. I, I, it I was, was Patrick who started this. I know. This. I was going to. And then I realized I said it prematurely because we hadn't introduced you yet. And I was going to say it was the great Patrick Dunnigan who actually was the one that got those wheels in motion about a year ago. It was actually about a year and three months ago. That Patrick, Patrick was right was here. here in the studio. He was. It. Patrick, absolutely. why did you do that to me? Well, go back to the tape, Steve. <laughs> Mary is an equal contributor to this wonderful program. Thank you, Patrick. Oh, wow. He's such a team builder. He is. I love um, it. <laughs> by the way, Patrick, by way of background, let folks know about Gibbons. Gibbons, a 200-attorney firm founded in 1926 by the great Andrew Crummy. So for most of our lives, we were the Crummy lawyers. Now we're <laughs> seven offices, Newark, Trenton, New York City, Philadelphia, Wilmington, Delaware, Washington, D.C., and West Palm Beach, Florida. We're a full-service firm, one of the best law firms in the United States. Love it. Patrick, there are so many things that we could talk about. And by the way, a couple books back when I wrote a book called You Are the Brand, check out that on our website, stand-deliver.com. There's a great chapter on the Gibbons Law Firm and the branding of the Gibbons Law Firm. And Patrick and I have this conversation sometimes when we're on the boardwalk in Lavalette where we try to get away from stuff and then see each other and start talking business. Patrick, branding, brand building in the age of social media, why is it more challenging for some of us who are, let's just say, not millennials anymore? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, Steve. You know, for lawyers, each individual attorney is the embodiment of an individual brand. So when you have a problem, you're going to call a particular lawyer. You're not necessarily going to call a law firm. But nevertheless, in the 21st century, people are establishing their own identity, mostly online. So I've been thinking about brand building in the age of social media quite a bit. Now, I'm a guy who reads four newspapers a day. Those Same here. hard copies, yep. right? Yep, hard but, copies. But we know why the press, as we once knew it, is going away. Everyone's moving to the online 
digital version. And it seems to me, whoever's doing their social media presence or their internet presence, for a different way to say it, is going to be more successful as we're living in this world of lightning fast change. Things are happening so fast. So in particular, I was thinking about the example of my 14-year-old freshman in high school, a boy who's on multiple sports teams, who hangs out with athletes every day. And each one of those kids, as they're sitting in the backseat of my car, can name every single NBA player individually. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. They know what teams they're on. They know their stats. So I asked, I asked Michael, I said, how do you know that? And he said, well, they're on YouTube. And you Google it, you watch NBA 2K, and the NBA has done a superior job, similar to the NFL with fantasy football. Literally every under-25 sports fan in America, and, and a lot of people older than 25, I drafted my team on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. My husband did his over the weekend, yep. <laughs> they all know individual players. And then you look at what Major League Baseball does, and they don't do any of that. Why? Is that a lack of leadership in your view? There's no doubt about that. So while all of us are rooting for the hometown team, and Steve and I... We're Yankee fans. Of course. And, you know, it's the winningest team we've had since our last championship. And we all can identify with Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge, of course. But ask your 14-year-old to name the Chicago Cubs best player. I'm not sure they can do that. And that's a failing on the part of that sport when there's two other sports doing it really, really well. And actually three other sports because hockey does it very well in addition to basketball and football. Patrick and I don't count hockey, but that's yeah, I okay. I know. I just had to throw that in there. It's for real. Okay. Stay on this, Patrick, and make the connection between branding, social media, and a visionary strategic leader regardless of his or her age. Right. And I think it's related, right? So you are identifying individual stars from particular teams or sports. That's the same thing as identifying a star in, for example, my profession, the legal profession. So in the past, you were making connections, unfortunately for some, at the country club or the golf club. So your individual relationship mattered, and that's how you went and got your contacts. Now it's evolved so that there's so many more opportunities to build relationships through an online presence. And sure, you're going to meet that client or that person at the country club or at that bar on Wall Street, the old-fashioned way. But think about the vast opportunities presented if you can make the connections online. So we've rolled out a little bit of a digital strategy here, and I know Stand and Deliver does that, and Caucus New Jersey yep, does yep, that. Yep. I get peppered with your email every day. Sorry, Patrick. No, that's great. <laughs> but, but Gibbons is up on the various publications in New Jersey, like NJBiz and ROI. ROI, every day. And we've been doing that all year, and I've watched other firms come on board to do the same thing that the Gibbons Yeah, firm, they're following you your know, firm. <laughs> as it always is when it comes to the building of the brand. So that connection between, you know, the individual embodiment of the brand that we spoke about in your book, You Are the Brand, yes. is now evolving so that you have to take that brand, put it on the internet, and make sure that you're establishing those connections so that you can have the direct contact with your future clients. So let's say you establish yourself, who is the best litigator in the country or who's the best litigator in the jurisdiction where the lawsuit has been filed you better have a presence because someone's going to be asking that question online in the old days it was word of mouth now it's word of mouth but it's just evolving so much faster and the opportunity for you is so much greater if you have established yourself online 
You're listening to Patrick Dunnigan, Chairman, Managing Director of Gibbons PC. And let me disclose that Stand and Deliver has had a longstanding relationship with Gibbons. We, in fact, have a leadership institute there, a leadership academy that has been helping to develop the leaders that Patrick and his team have, not in the area of law, that's not what we do, but their communication, leadership skills, how to run better meetings, how to have a greater executive presence, how to coach and mentor other people, how to be better at business development and all those things. But also Patrick and his firm has been one of the leading supporters of public broadcasting and our caucus educational corporation. But Patrick, I want to push back. You and I, even though I've got a couple of years on you, we go old school. Patrick and I believe deeply in personal relationships. And I won't make it about Patrick and I, but we represent a lot of folks out there that believe deeply that beyond social media, Patrick, beyond all the stuff you were just talking about, being visionary, be strategic, getting out there, social media, the internet, et cetera, that you and I both know that we pick up the phone and talk to each other when stuff happens, when we need each other. We have to meet face-to-face. We meet face-to-face. How the heck do we as leaders, as professionals, Engage in all this social media, digital, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, East Main Media, where we're taping right now, and Brian Berdour and his team, they, in fact, are the ones who execute our media strategy, our social media strategy, our digital strategy every day. But, Patrick, here's the long-winded question. How the heck do we keep, maintain, and revere and respect the personal relationships that people like you and I have built over the years where we trust each other, not because of social media, but because of our personal history? I think that's absolutely right. There's no substitute for the individual personal relationships. That's always going to rule the day. But you do need to have your presence so you can meet the new people. And the truth is you have to be able to do it all. And so we didn't talk about it, but you got to hire some young people that understand the Internet and how fast things are moving. At the same time as retain and cherish the cultures that you've built up in the past regarding the respecting of the personal relationships. And there's no substitute for becoming someone's trusted advisor. And in this world of the people that are moving too fast, we tell them, don't think with your thumbs, slow down, (laughs) consider all the alternatives first, because there is the haste to move too quickly. And I think the people that can balance it all are the ones that are going to be ultimately successful. Stay on that, Patrick. Patrick Dunnigan from Gibbons, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur coming to you from East Main Media, listening to us on AM 970, The Answer, or our podcast that we send out on a regular basis. Patrick, do you find it more challenging as the leader of your firm? You bring in a 25-year-old, talented, young attorney, fresh out of law school, and they have Gibbons gets the best, but they have a high percentage of folks from uh, Seton Hall Law School where Patrick has a huge connection. Do you find it harder to manage, lead, coach, mentor those folks who are 25, smart, just out of law school about the personal side of leadership and business development because they are acting, thinking with their fingers? You know, I used to say no because I wanted to give this generation, the millennials, the benefit of the doubt. And I said that there's going to be people in that group that are just like the old schoolers who know how hard they have to work to succeed. But I have watched an evolution of how people conducting business and conducting themselves. It is different. So you better adapt your business to the new generation. Why are we, excuse me, Patrick, for interrupting. Why are we adapting to them? Why aren't they adapting to us? We're the ones running the company. Look, they were raised in an era that was just simply different. 
than how we were all raised. The technology and the advances in technology have made their lives at the same time extremely complex and a lot easier. And that's a heck of a crazy thing to say and then to try to live and then to try to balance. So your organization better adapt to their needs. You do need your workforce as the baby boomers are aging out quickly. You better be able to backfill and understand what the needs of this new group are. Leadership not for the faint of heart, Patrick Dunnigan? Well, if you enjoy leading and you've had some success at it, I think it's easier. I think that the number one hallmark of a leader that you and I have talked about over and over again is relentless follow-up. That, to me, (laughs) is the number one attribute that you have to have, and that can be exhausting at times. Not just for us, but for the people around us, Patrick. Exactly. But every, isn't that true? My, you know, my so. staff is like, seriously, you told us seven times. I know, but I don't see it done. I got to make sure. And my wife's like, let it go. Honey, I can't let it go because I got to make sure it was done. That's how we succeed. She goes, I know, but it's exhausting. Exactly. But it really is the hallmark of great success. And that's true of anything, right? It doesn't have to necessarily no. be the leader of Sports. an organization. Sure. And it's how you get to become a leader. (laughs) Real quick, we we did a whole last segment on this. I know we said Patrick would be a five-minute segment. We're in 15 (laughs) minutes already. Patrick Dunnigan from the Great Gibbons Law Firm. We're proud to be partners with them, colleagues with them. Patrick, you're into sports. Your kids are into sports. You've coached, correct? Yeah, I'm retired now because my son just graduated eighth grade, and I've coached youth football since third grade. I've coached CYO basketball since second grade, and I coached lacrosse for the past couple of years. There's a setup here, Patrick. Mary and I had a long debate about this. We did some research on great quotes about leadership, and you know where I'm about to go, Patrick. This comes from Vince Lombardi. Winning isn't everything. You want to finish it, Patrick? It's the only thing. Do you believe that? No. No, not not at all. I think character building is the most important thing. And that's what sports teaches. I've enjoyed my relationships with young men in developing them as future leaders, working together to achieve a common objective. Success is a byproduct of that. Thankfully, my coaches, I coached with nine guys for a long time, and our team enjoyed tremendous success undefeated the past three years and multiple championships. But that's really not what it's about. What it's about is those boys are going to play their first high school scrimmage on Saturday morning, (laughs) and they're ready to go, and they're not daunted in any way by traveling to a different town to see how their high school careers are going to begin. And to me, that's a metaphor for all sports. Agreed. Including my daughter, who's the captain of her high school volleyball team. There's only two seniors on the team, so she has to model leadership every single day. There's six sophomores, three juniors, and a freshman. So I'm watching it in real time, what it was for her to be brought up or mentored by the nine seniors who graduated last year and to see the character development and character building that sports can provide. It's really awesome. So yeah. try this, Patrick. Mary and I... Mary I and I'm I really, like jumping out of my seat. <laughs> listen, Patrick's got to thinking about a lot of things. And I said to Mary, as I'm listening to Patrick, I gave her a hand signal. I just said Little League. We're taping this in the fall of 2019 in a little bit later. The Little League World Series was played. The team from Elizabeth, New Jersey did not win mm-hmm. a la... Vince Lombardi. Yep. But they came close. Patrick watched them as well. We all did. We all rooted for these kids. 
from Elizabeth and the coach after the game. What's his name, Mary? It was manager, I'll probably mispronounce the first name, Jero Labrador. What did he say to these young oh boys, 13 years old, I believe? I'll just say a few of the lines, but he said, I love you guys. There's nothing else to say because of you and the work you did. I want to thank you. We're here because of you guys and your work. Happy graduation day. You guys are going on and you're going to be superstars on the big field. It was an honor. Patrick, they didn't win, but didn't they win? They sure did. I can relate. I remember sending a text to a parent on my last day of coaching youth football the day before our Super Bowl. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my weeknights next fall, but I know I'll always cherish these memories. So you won, didn't you? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, again, I've always been a fan of Vince Lombardi, old school little kid growing up. Vince Lombardi, right? But I, I got to tell you, we all want to win. But sometimes we come up a little bit short and we win anyway because of the experience. And as Patrick said, helping people to be the best they can be, character building. Hey, listen, Patrick, we took way more time than than we planned on taking. You're supposed to be making money, and you will right after this for the Gibbons Law Firm. But you're not just a great friend and a trusted advisor. You're a great client, a supporter of what we do. And I tell you this all the time. It is just a pleasure working with you and June and the team at Gibbons. So thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Steve. I'll leave you with this. Lombardi has another quote. Go. Leadership is about the power to inspire. Wow. See, that's a good Vince Lombardi Write that down. Quote. Yes. Leadership is about the power to inspire. Good stuff. Patrick, listen, have a great rest of the day. Talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you. That was Patrick Dunnigan from the Gibbons Law Firm. He, in fact, is the chairman and managing director. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. And it's funny because when I was looking up different quotes, Vince Lombardi had a lot of great quotes out there. And many are controversial, but the one that Patrick just shared, obviously, is everyone can agree to that yeah. for sure. And there was another great quote, and now I'm kicking myself for not including it, but it was pretty much the theme of, obviously, an organization cannot succeed without the team behind it. And it was obviously tying that into sports and an organization. So it's not like all the quotes are so black and white that he has said, and I thought that was just important to share. It's not like we're bashing Vince Lombardi no, quotes. No, He has a ton of great quotes, and it's just you take a little bit of information from each of them. And by the way, the people who played back, back, back in the day, you, you listen to interviews with Bart Starr and Jerry Kramer way before your time, Mary, but when I was a kid growing up, I'd see these interviews with these athletes who played for him, and they actually loved him. They loved Vince Lombardi, not just as a coach, but as a human being, and he was tough on him, boy. But there was an affection, a, a love, even while he was yelling at them. Mm-hmm. And so I want to put that quote in context. Winning is not everything. It's the only thing. So listen, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and let's wrap up this terrific edition of Lessons in Leadership on the Leadership Hour. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur from East Main Media Studios. Be right back after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato with Mary Gamba in the studios at East Main Media with Brian Brodeur. By the way, give a shout out to the rest of the team that makes this oh, happen, Brian. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that. What we do with you and everything here at East Main would not 
be really anything without the team. It's all about my team. You both know that. Starting with the man behind these microphones on the other side of the wall, J.P. Conk, the great engineer. Thank you, J.P. Yeah, killing it. And, of course, our senior producer and ops manager, Kayla Steinmetz, the recently married Thank Kayla. Thank you, Kayla. Yeah, really great work. And, of course, also Dave Amarada, senior editor, which works on uh, many yep. shows, including yours. And last but not least, there's plenty of others, but Steve Sutton, head of archiving and captioning. Great team. And it goes on from there. Great. By the way, if Kayla needs any marital advice, tell her to come to me. I will, <laughs> tell, I will her tell her that. Steer clear away. You know, she's doing great. <laughs> For those listening, though, East Main yeah. Media, I mean, obviously you help us out with this podcast, but what other services do you do? do oh, you, well, thank you. Our uh, listeners you know, want to know. We are one of the leading independent production and post-production companies in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. uh, we work on television shows like the many shows that Steve is on, of course. Thank you. Well, the Tap Into Connection. Oh, yeah. And that's really the other big thing we're doing. We manage and run Tap Into TV, which is the flagship video channel on the Tap Into Hyperlocal News Network which is about 80 websites, and we run that web video channel. And we're just about to open a 5,000-square-foot studio upstairs, East Main Studios. Which we are, in fact, hoping to do this radio show podcast from Yes, in October, no pressure, yeah. October 17th, the countdown's on. Yeah. It's going to be great. Okay. You have a goal. Thank you. So let's try this. Shift gears. By the way, check out our website, stand-deliver.com, for free articles. Check out my books, blah, 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 blah. So here's the thing. I use this term a lot and its connection to uh, leadership. And it's not my expression. It comes from Dr. Daniel Goleman, G-O-L-E-M-A-N. And it's called emotional intelligence, otherwise known as EQ. I was first introduced to this concept of emotional intelligence by a mentor and friend of mine at Rutgers University who heads up the uh, Department of Psychology. For, he headed up for many years, Dr. Maurice Elias. Often people will say, I remember Al Gore was running for president and one of the reasons he lost, other than what happened in Florida, which I don't really know what happened in 2000, is that people would often say that Al Gore, and forget about your politics, I'm talking about communication, leadership, persona, brand, blah, blah, it's what we do, is that Al Gore came across as if he believed he was, in fact, the smartest person in the room. And the person who believes that he or she is the smartest person in the room usually by virtue of the fact that he or she believes he or she is the smartest person in the room, is not the smartest person in the room because the smartest person in the room, A, wouldn't think that, B, wouldn't say that, C, wouldn't give off the vibe as if he knew every answer. And in fact, one of the reasons Al Gore, who I'm sure has a very high IQ, lost to George Bush, who let's just say I'm betting not the highest IQ in the world and not the greatest vocabulary and not great with English or syntax is that people could relate to him. Forget about your politics. What does this have to do with EQ? Well, I don't know the actual definition of emotional intelligence, but a great leader has to have average IQ, massive high EQ. I know my definition, but I'm going to ask Brian Brodeur. By the way, research is easy these days. Mm -hmm called Google. The definition of emotional intelligence, Mr. Brodeur, is? Emotional intelligence, or EQ, is defined as the ability to identify, assess, and control one's own emotions, the emotions of others, and that of groups. Think about 
that. Boom. I would drop this mic, but it's attached to this pole over here. So you can't drop the mic after he just did that. Yeah, but that was don't. a drop the mic. I won't do it. JP, JP will angry. get mad because they're why, expensive. Why would you drop on that? It's amazing how book smart and I guess back in the day you would call it the difference between just being like streetwise and book smart. Really, that's in a nutshell how I interpret what Brian just read. I interpreted that the EQ is literally your street smart and then you have your book smart, which is the IQ. And I do. I feel like it's a valid way to to perceive things. It's a valid way to categorize leadership, if you could even do that, and just to put an expression or a name to those traits that you just explained that differentiate a really great leader versus others. You know, it's so interesting. And by the way, having a high IQ and having a high EQ are not mutually exclusive. You could have both. But I'm going to argue that if I had to pick between two, if you had to, I'm going EQ every time. Because the people who know themselves, who are honest with themselves, who can monitor themselves and know when they're coming off a certain way and adjust accordingly, how many people do we know that come across in such a bad way and they think they're killing it? They're just killing it. Mary doesn't realize this, but I coached a comedian early on. I never even talked to you about this. Really? I was coaching a comedian early on. It was before we even started the firm officially. And I was working with this comedian on his delivery. He had good material, but it was delivery. And I went to see him at Caroline's in New York. By the way, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur, this is uh, Lessons in Leadership, listening to us on AM 970 and on our podcast as well. The comedian gets up, does the material, and it bombed. It absolutely bombed. The material was okay, but he wasn't connecting. We go backstage. I said, uh, Bob, how'd you do? He goes... I got to tell you, Steve, me, I thought I was killing it. I was amazing. The audience, they sucked. Now, I want you to think about that. <laughs> he killed it. It was a bad audience. Mm -hmm. Point being, you can't kill it just in your own mind if those who you're looking to kill it with, your audience, don't feel it. I just finished a seminar series last night, Mary, for a major healthcare system. Yep. We do evaluations. You say, how did you do? I say to you, I killed it, Mary. I was great. I was on my game. Now we look at the evaluations. Yeah. I don't know. We didn't really learn very much. Steve was full of himself. It was pompous. I'm making this up. Oh, I'm like, is that what they said? I haven't seen him yet. That would be sad. Yeah, very funny. <laughs> my point is emotional intelligence is knowing how you're doing and the ability to adjust accordingly and make other people, Al Gore, smartest person in the room, the person with the highest EQ is the person who makes someone else feel like the smartest person in the room. That's hard. Go, Mary Gamba. Oh, it's incredibly hard. Nobody likes to be around that know-it-all, that person who thinks that they know everything, they have to be right. You get in an argument with them because you go back and forth. There's no winning there. And I always say, if you're having a conversation with someone, it's so much better to ask a question of someone and then hear what they have to say. How about if you even think you know the answer, Mary? It's just so much more fun to listen to what someone else has to say than it is to tell them everything that I think they want to hear. 
there's so many interesting things you can learn, whether it's just somebody you're sitting next to on a plane for a five-hour plane ride or somebody that you're standing in line at the grocery store. Like I always try to just engage. And even if it's a one or two minute conversation, number one, you never know, you may make that person's day. Maybe they didn't have anybody else to talk to. And number two, you're going to learn something pretty cool, usually if you ask the right question. So I always try to make sure that I ask questions and am genuinely interested in what others have to say okay, rather than what I'm, I'm saying. I'm sorry for interrupting. I'm going to show you a bad EQ. Mary, where were you recently? Where'd you go? Lake Placid. Really? What'd you like about it? Oh, everything. It's the best place on earth. Really? Yeah. I got to tell you something. That, that's fine. But I went to Colorado recently. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Colorado, you can ski anytime. It was fabulous. It was the best trip ever. You can't imagine. I got to tell you, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Here's One the problem. One-upsmanship. That okay. is- How often uh, do we see that? All the time. Shut up. Let somebody else tell their story and bite your tongue. And by the way, I've been guilty of this. Mm-hmm. I have to bite my tongue and sometimes I don't. My father-in-law said something recently. Our son had to go to Washington recently. And he goes, you know, in Washington, I was there recently, and this is where you need to go, and this is what you need to do, because we're visiting schools in, in Washington. And he's going on and on. Now, I lived in Washington for six months on an assignment for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. I was monitoring Congress, and I was down there in their Washington office. I lived in Foggy Bottom, across from the Watergate, near George Washington University, and I know the town well. And we're sitting at the dinner table. I'm biting my tongue because my father-in-law knew everything about Washington. How many times had he been there? I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to leave that alone. Oh, that was he's... just I didn't know if you knew. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe he lived there for a while. No, I, I visited one time. So here's my point. I'm not saying I have great EQ. I just know that if I said, hey, Tone, I lived there for six months, and let me tell you, how would he feel? Yeah, it doesn't do anything good. And so part of EQ is to shut your mouth and let somebody else have the spotlight. Does that make any sense? It does. Brian, Brian yeah, I'm... I wanted to interrupt and ask a question I've thought about a lot. You've How introduced... does he do it? It's actually a little bit of what I'm going to ask you. That's low EQ. <laughs> You've inter- interviewed thousands of people from George H.W. Bush down to like the corner variety, all kinds of people, right? How much of EQ is part of what you bring to interviewing? Because you have to be so dialed in. That's pretty much all it is. Yeah. No one tunes into anything we do to find out what I know. They are tuning in to find out who the guest is, what the guest believes, why it's important what this guest believes, how he or she sees the world, what experiences they've had. And if I've had other experiences, yes, I'm not going to lie and say I haven't said, well, one time I did whatever. Of course. But if I'm coming from a place that adds to that guest, helps that guest be more comfortable, and helps the audience appreciate the experience, great. But if I'm coming from a place, if I'm coming from a place to just try to promote myself, which I know I've done, but try not to do it too often, then I suck at what I do. But you don't say, hey, Alan Alda, you're Alan Alda, go. You know, you got to be dialed in. No, we had Alan Alda recently, and I know we're out of time, but we had Alan Alda recently, and I was in awe of him. But you can't be in so much in awe to the degree that you lose your game. But, I mean, it's Alan Alda, and I'm Steve Adubato, and I have enough EQ to know I'm Steve Adubato, and he's Alan Alda. (laughs) But you still ask the right questions, and I think that's what Brian's getting to, is you need to ask the right questions in order to get out of that person what you believe others want to hear. And you don't only do that on television. You also do it in regular conversation, and that's what EQ is. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is this. 
We were on a call yesterday to try to get a grant from a major foundation. I had a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. We were asking the foundation representative what he or she thought yep. we needed to know. Even though I have my own views, simple mm -hmm. point. EQ is about this. It's not about you. It's about them. And your job is to help them be their best to give you insight to help you be better and not prove that you're smarter. That's it. That's all I got. That's the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Otterbauer. That's Mary Gamba. This is Brian Brodeur from East Main Media. I want to thank you for listening to us on AM 970, our podcast as well, to JP, who's controlling things over there. Mary, what do you got real quick? That's it. I think we're out of time. Okay, goodbye. See you next time on the Leadership Hour. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Patrick Dunnikin. At Gibbons, we believe that citizens need to be informed about the complex issues that affect their lives. That's why we're proud to support the programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, NJIT, New Jersey Institute of Technology, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. And by Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters. Your future is in our building. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ and by NJ Advance Media. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJ TV studio, Newark. We're pleased to once again welcome the Senate. President in the great state of New Jersey, Senator Steve Sweeney. Good to see you, Senator. It's good to see you, Steve. Um, let's jump right into this. Path to Progress is a report that has been researched, submitted, and now says, what are the keys to fiscal health in New Jersey? Well, look, it, there's several. But you started this whole thing. Well, yeah, I just asked a bunch of experts. The, basically, the, uh, the best New Jersey has. Not partisan in any way at all, just experts. How do we fix what's wrong? And they came up with you know, 200 recommendations, we whittled it down to, I, th I think it's 36 or 27. I, I forget the number now, it's been a little while. But it's, it's hitting at the things that we all know need to be done, but they're the hard things. Top of the list. Pension reform, healthcare reform, school consolidation, things that we've talked about for years that is now to a point, these are the big things that have to get done in order to save billions of dollars for taxpayers. Because New Jersey's biggest problem is cost. And without addressing the problems, we're never going to, we're just going to just keep pouring money in it. And looking for new taxes to raise without fixing the structural problems doesn't work. By the way, uh, by the way, if you listen to us on the audio side, Senator Steve Sweeney, Senator President Steve Sweeney is with us on State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. Question is this New Jersey's fiscal health, one of the issues that you and the governor disagree on is that he believes strongly that in order to strengthen the fiscal health of the state, we need to, in fact, increase taxes on those who earn the most money. After a million dollars, 
every dollar is taxed more. He says if we don't do that, we're not going to have money for a lot of the programs that people want. He's wrong because those are the people that can leave, and after the federal salt, you know, the state and local Trump... tax deduction with President Trump, what? the federal law, yes. cap at ten grand, that's it. Yeah. State income tax, property taxes, more than that, you're on your own. Exactly. You can't write it off. Go ahead. So now you have a population that's just got hit with another tax because people didn't mind paying them as much because they wrote them off. Now they can't. And my point is, if you want to talk about revenue raisers, fix the structural problems first, then you'll know what you need, and then if you have to talk about taxes, then talk about them. But without fixing what's wrong in New Jersey, and this is where I am really frustrated with a governor that wrote a report when Dick Cody was the governor. Let's make it clear, uh, Senator Dick Cody, then acting governor, had Dick Cody, he had a commission that looked at the pension situation, and Murph, Governor Murphy at the time, private citizen, did what? He chaired it and wrote the report that said we needed dramatic change, that this wasn't sustainable. That was back in over. You're talking about the pension and health care yeah. situation with public Steve, employees. Steve, back then the deficit was $11 billion. Today, the pension deficit's over $100 billion, about $150, and $115. And our health care, retiree health care deficit, is over, over $100 billion. So now we're about $220 billion, billion, not million, in the hole. So you can't raise taxes enough to fill that hole. When does the bill come due? The bill's coming due now. And if we don't fix the pension soon, if we don't fix the pension soon, by 2023, you're going to have a $4 billion deficit in New Jersey. In the that, budget? Yeah, without a reset, without a recession. So if I give you the millionaire's tax... Right? If I give you the millionaires What does tax, it bring in? It's inflated the number they use, but I'll give it to them. $536 million. And increased revenue to the state. Go ahead. If no one leaves. So, okay, I'll give it to them. $536. What about the other, what about the, the other $2.5 billion? Steve, we can't raise taxes to get us out of this. We need to make structural reforms. Listen, I want to make sure teachers have good pensions. Same with all public employees. But other states, 12 other states in this country have changed their pension structure. But well, we have to, but respectfully, Senate President Steve Sweeney with us on State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. A few years ago, didn't you, together with Republican Governor Chris Christie, work on this, and there was pension reform? It wasn't enough, though, Steve. That's the problem. We did what we could get done, because these are big things. Like I said, these are things you talk about forever, and it's very rare you do. If we don't do this, Oregon just did it. Portland, uh, Portland Oregon, just I mean, the state of Oregon, just changed their pension system. Democrat governor, Democrat uh, legislature, both what do you houses. What changed? Be specific. Well, like what? They, be specific as to two, what needs to be done. In 2003, they went to a hybrid system, which was so much, like the first 40,000, this is what we're proposing, is a pension. Anything above that is basically annuity. Like, you know, we're going to take a percentage of your income, put it in annuity, invest it. That's what Oregon has. Isn't that risky with the stock market being no, so volatile? No, when you do, listen, when you're doing, if, if it's, I won't call it a 401k. I'm calling it a no. Some do, but go ahead. But I won't for one reason, because there's no match. So if you're doing it, that's what the other states do. But you don't put it in high risk. You know, I deal with annuities all the time. In your work? In, As an iron worker. Yes, and who represents, who deals with the union very directly. And I, we all have annuities to supplement the pensions. But this way, you start to change, Steve. You start to move the, the process. If we do it today, 30 years from now, it'll be fixed. But if we don't do it, in Oregon, when they did it, mm. 
their pension funding dropped from 90% to 80%. And the, and, and the governor and the legislature made changes to it again, legislatively. We're in like the high 30s. We're almost bankrupt and people don't realize you it. You use that word sometimes. and I, I, Is that the right word or yes. is that hyperbole? An no. exaggeration. It's not an exaggeration. If we continue the course we're going, we're going to be bankrupt. And here's the bigger problem. We can't fund anything, Steve. Everything has to go to pension and health care now. Everything. You know, when you look at this budget, you know, we're squeezing pennies here and there to do additional things. If the pension system had not been played with, starting with the Whitman administration, the pension payment would have been $800 million. When you say played with, either not, yeah, not put money into or taking money out, go ahead. Bonding, and then government's not funding. Right. And, but, but look, there was a little secret to that one. I shouldn't say taking money out. It wasn't taken out. But it was bonded. They, they bonded, bonded the pension. But what else they did, Steve, what else they did was there was a wink and a nod when the pension payments weren't being made. I was there. I watched it. And I was like, what are you guys going to do with what your they, pension? What did they think was going to happen when the bill came due? Well, the problem is they weren't going to be there. The people that made so, these decisions, the, the people <sighs> that are here today yes. are not the ones that made the decisions. So I don't blame them. But you them. have to, you and, and the governor and the other legislators down, other state leaders, it's your job to, quote, deal with it. That's where we are. So let me ask you, say it doesn't happen. What does it mean for the average citizen of New Jersey, not a policymaker, not an insider, not somebody who follows what's going on in the state capitol every day? What would it mean to their lives? They're going to have to find ways to raise taxes, whether it's increased sales taxes. Look, if the pension system goes broke and we have to start paying out $6 billion a year, a year, and we're not far from that. You know, uh, there's, there's zones like a green, yellow, and red when you're in trouble with pensions, we're in the 30s, high 30s, and it keeps dropping as we keep putting more money into it. Mm. So, Steve, it's one of these things that it's not working. No matter how much money we, we will continue to fund our full obligation, knowing a recession's coming. Say a recession's coming. Could it mean, Senator President Sweeney, that fewer dollars, state dollars to public schools in your community? Could it mean that? Absolutely. Could it mean fewer dollars for women's health care services? All across the board. Fewer dollars for infrastructure projects. Well, now we dedicated the transportation the trust fund. Yeah, but, but how about higher education, fund. where we have the second most expensive it's higher been real education cuts there. system? Oh, yeah. Everyone's going to have to take a cut because there's no funding for anything. By the way, real quick, switch gears on this. It's a fiscal issue as well. You and the governor appear to be at loggerheads on this. There are several institutions of higher learning, some of whom we collaborate with, and other entities cancer funding in one of the uh, initiatives. Where, where is that? I think it's $10 million. That they froze in Camden. Okay, make 100%. that clear. Okay, so there, there's 230 some odd million dollars yeah. frozen from what the legislature wanted to pass in the budget, and the governor said, no, we're not doing that. And how much is that? It's policy-driven. There's a question here, trust me. How much of it is policy-driven and just the fact that the two of you often don't get along? It was politics. Steve, you know why you know it was politics? Because 80% of what he froze is what he put in the budget. When he attacked the legislature saying we filled the budget with pork, right? And he said, I'm pork repeating. Pork meaning projects that are just for your district? Go ahead. And he said it. Well, then freeze those projects. If, if you're feeling they're not worthy, freeze them. But you froze 80% of the projects that were meant to help people. Why okay. is all the cancer funding frozen, all of it, in southern New Jersey? But they you think it was Northern. targeted to Southern New Jersey? Well, listen, Partly because you're not, there? No, no, no. There, there's th things in Essex County yeah, that there were are. targeted. There's a zoo I know of, there, there Turtleback Zoo. There's things in Essex. There's things in Central. 
but they were targeted for anybody that resisted and disagreed. And, and unfortunately, Steve, look, this gets personal for me. I lost my mother and my, my brother to cancer. Why would you deny people in southern New Jersey dollars to deal with cancer treatment? It's offensive and it's unfair. You know, I went after Chris Christie when he cut a budget one time and called him a whole bunch of bad names. I don't know what to say when Phil Murphy says, why well, support these things? Well, then fund them. Because, by the way, they can't answer one question, not one question, how they came up with a list, what they tell of you. Of what they weren't going to fund. Yeah. You know what they say? The executive order speaks for itself. I said, no. Well, tell me who was in a room and who made the decisions and why this was funded and this wasn't funded. And why would you freeze 80% of your own funding. Stay on that, Senator. I want to make something clear. Senator President Steve Sweeney with us here, Steve Adubati here at the studios of NJTV for State of Affairs. You may be asking yourself, what does the governor have to say about this? I want to be really clear about this. We have and will continue to work with the governor's office to try to get him in this studio for a State of Affairs, State of Affairs interview so that he can offer his perspective on this. I want to make it clear, we've tried. It's been a scheduling issue to date. We will get that done. That being said, I would love to see him. Okay, can we do this? Sure. Quick, you've called for a ban on vaping. Yes. 30 seconds, why? Because it's an epidemic right now, and, and you know, these vaping stores are actually using products that are illegal products out of, you know, they talk about the corner, Steve. They're getting them out of China. They're getting into the, in the stream, and people are getting sick. It's, it's not like, it's, not, it's, it's, it's worse than cigarettes, because cigarettes is a, is a chronic effect. It takes a long time. This is an acute effect where you vape one night, and the next day you're in the hospital. You believe this ban is possible? Yes. There's support for it? Yes. Governor Murphy communicated that he would be supportive? He didn't communicate he wouldn't, and he called for everyone to stop banning immediately. You saw not to stop banning, to ban immediately. To, to stop vaping immediately. Okay. And, you know, Governor Cuomo just came out yes. with an announcement. And President and, Trump has said some things on this. God, it scares me. But, but, but he said but, something but similar. he's right. He's right on this. I can't believe I'm agreeing with him, but he's on right this. on this. Yes. Do this one. Marijuana. Yeah. How far away are we from the legalization of cannabis slash marijuana in the state of New Jersey? The governor uh, wants it. I want it. So does the speaker. Speaker uh, Craig Coughlin wants it. So what stands in the way? Uh, some of my members. And we're going to push in lame duck to get it done. If not, we'll put lame it Lame duck meaning after the November election the up November until election. January, the new legislature takes January, over. January, whatever, mid-January. And if, and if not, we'll prepare a ballot initiative that we know will be successful. Okay, real quick, uh, I've talked about this before. We have an initiative called Right from the Start NJ, focusing on child care for infants and toddlers, improving that situation. It's just been $54 million of state money going to that. What more do we need to do? Well, you know, Steve, we need to fund more, to be perfectly honest with you. And, like, Tressa Ruiz, Senator Ruiz and myself, yes. she, she's a champion for pre-K, you know, right? She sure has. She has a small child as well. I'm very focused we on this. Need, we need to get to birth. We need to get children at birth. My daughter was a, was a preemie. She has Down syndrome. She was in early intervention. The earlier you get someone, the more they learn. Your brain, 85% of your brain develops from birth to five years old. So we should be looking at putting as much money in as we can early, because it's, it's that old Fram commercial, pay me now, pay me later. Got to pay either way. You, you make that investment up front. Um, Senate President Steve Sweeney, thank you for joining us. And I'm glad that you're here uh, in the next few seconds as we acknowledge that 
State Senator Tony Bucco, who served in the legislature for many years, uh, 81 years of age, joined us many times on State of Affairs. A gentleman, a class act, someone who always would disagree without being disagreeable. And we lost him. The state has lost him, an important public servant. And I just want to acknowledge that on behalf of everyone here at State of Affairs, NJTV, the public television family, that we wish um, the Bucco family all the best. Rest in peace, Tony Bucco. He, the way he described it is exactly how he, how he was. He's a gentleman, a class act. You couldn't find a bad word to say about him. Steve, the thing that's uh, it's really sad is I really consider him a very good friend, and I'm heartbroken that he passed. Uh, you know, he's had some tough times recently, but I thought he was getting beyond him. And, and I, you know, he was a tough guy, too. Mm. He stood his ground, but get, he stood, stood his ground. But one thing you knew, when Tony Bucco gave you his word, it was gold. Thank you, Senator. Thanks, Jeff. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. We are honored to be joined by the mayor of the great city of New York, Ross Baraka. Good to see you, Mayor. Good to be here. Um, the issue that we need to talk about, that everyone's talking about, is the Newark public, excuse me, Newark water situation. As succinctly as possible, what is the problem and how did it get to be where it is? Well, the city of Newark has uh, older homes that have uh, service lines that bring water into their home that are made out of lead. Uh, the service lines are actually owned by the homeowner. Uh, they have to be removed. Uh, they've been there for centuries. Um, you know, maybe 25, 30 years ago, the, st the city began putting uh, corrosion control in the water to stop the lead from coming from the pipes and getting into the water. It began to fail somewhere around 2017 uh, or so it began to fail. And so when we got proof that it was absolutely failing... Proof by whom? The EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. So the federal government directly involved... Yes, so we do all the testing. So it's this characterization that people come and test our water. We do all the testing. City does. City. And then we report what we find. So we reported high levels of lead. Uh, we couldn't explain why we were getting high levels of lead in the beginning, so we cut a pipe out of the ground and sent it to the EPA. The EPA uh, scientists looked at it and told us that the corrosion control was failing mm. uh, and that we had to get a new corrosion control. In 17? Uh, they told us in 2018 that it was failing. So where do the filters come in? Sorry for jumping. 2018. We started giving out Explain filters. Explain the water filters. They're not, they're not city water filters. They're put out by a manufacturer. Right. They're by Pure uh, Water Company, uh, Pure Filter Company, excuse me, who uh, manufactures filters for people all over the country, the world, for that matter. People use them everywhere. Uh, they're NSF certified. They were approved by the EPA. Uh, we put, we put 39,000 of them in our of them out. We started in October 2018. Uh, we did three tests and found two of them were not working to the capacity that we thought they should work Mayor, to. Mayor, sorry for interrupting. Why only three? Because that number confused me and I'm sure a lot of yeah. other people. Because it wasn't, it wasn't a, a formal kind of test, right, to test filters. What we were actually testing was the new orthophosphate that we were actually putting in the water, right? So we were testing that uh, to come in one end and come out the other end. So we tested a home in the north water, one in the south, and one in the West to test to see if the new chemical was actually getting through the pipe. And two of three said what? 
so they, they reduced lead, but not below 15 parts per billion or not below Yeah, lead. try to explain that one. Right, well, <laughs> lead and copper rule says that you right. can only have up to 15 parts per billion of lead in your water. Uh, it did not reduce it below that, so in our mind, they failed. One of them actually did. We tested, uh, since then, two, 225 filters, six times a piece, uh, you know, with a whole, you know, kind of uh, group of people who tested it, a whole protocol. And so we have, we should have those results back. Uh, but as we do this program, do not have them. Well, actually, uh, they do have them, and they're working on uh, the findings of it. I'm very optimistic of, of what it's going to say. But, um, you know, they're, they're looking at the findings of it now. We'll be able to uh, say something to the public by the end of this week or the beginning of next. Long-term fix. The uh, County of Essex, the County Executive Joe DiVincenzo, you can check out an NJTV news story on this together with the mayor and Governor Murphy. There was a press conference. Um, the county came in and helped you bond for $120 million. Yes. To do what and how's that paid? To pull the lead service lines out of people's homes. Uh, you know, a while ago, we actually had to get the law changed on a state level to allow the city to be able to do that. That was, you know, most people don't know about that because we're using public money to fix people's private homes. So we, we were allowed to do that. So we began doing that. We've changed maybe 900 lead service lines already uh, outside of the county's money. And that would have took, taken us about eight years to complete. If, now? Now, if we would have continued the way we were doing and it. And with this bonding with Essex County? About 24 to 30 months tops. It'll, what it'll will happen us. in 24 to 30 months? Make it clear Every 18,000 lead service lines in the city of Newark, Belleville, and Hillside will change all their lead service The mayor mentions Belleville and Hillside because, if I'm not mistaken, the water in those communities, as well as the water in Newark, comes from? The Wanakew system. Excuse me, the Paquanic system. Not the Wanakew system. Not the Wanakew, the Paquanic system. The Paquanic system. system. Yeah, the Paquanic uh, system. Help us on this, mayor. This is not... This is also not easy because there are certain homeowners, don't they, I don't want to call it eminent domain, but aren't there certain issues as to whether homeowners will allow you in or not to do these things? Uh, yeah, they, we do have to get their permission. We uh, <clears throat> have introduced a law to the city council that would allow us to go on people's property through home rule and uh, change their pipes, uh, even if, if we can't get in touch with them, if they're being too difficult, or things of that. What about 70% of the uh, folks in the city living in rental properties? What well, about those landlords? Well, that, that law will help us go onto their property and change those pipes. So, Mayor, to those who have been critical, both in the media and community groups, there's also uh, the Natural Resources Defense Council. Right. Um, you laugh as I say it. They're bringing a lawsuit against the city. Yeah. For those who have argued, you know what? The city hasn't been as transparent as it should be. The mayor hasn't been as transparent as he needs to be on this in terms of when this happened, when they knew about it, and what the danger was. You say? I say that's incorrect, and it's uh, people are uh, creating information that's just not true. Every, every time that people know we have lead in the water is because we did it. We told them. We did the test. 2016, when it was lead in the schools, we reported that which changed the state's uh, testing system around the entire state. 2017, we reported it. 2018, we reported it. We keep reporting it. We reported the filters are not working. We did that. But Mayor, um, real quick, well, uh, you had said at a certain point, quote, the, the water is absolutely safe to drink. Now, this problem is not a new one. There's about two and a half years that you've known about this. When you said this water is, quote, absolutely safe to drink... D did you read the whole thing? Go ahead, put it in context. Right, because what, what, what people have been doing... Led by NRDC, has been putting that, that up that there. That group that the National yeah. Resources Defense Council, I'm sorry. Put this thing up there. Newark, the water is safe to drink, right? When you, when you keep reading that, it says, unless you have 
an older home, or a lead service line. That's what it says. That's the rest of the quote. That's the rest of the quote. If you have a lead service line, or if you live in an older home, you have a problem. It says that on the robocalls. Now, we can, we can argue or quibble about the, if we think that that is, uh, you know, effective, right, or, or if, if it causes confusion. Well, but to say we misled people a lot is just not true. Well, let, there's intent and then there's execution. Right. If, in golf, um, we call it a mulligan. Right, 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 Would right. you have said it differently, given how easy that is to take out a Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's confusion, right? So it, it, people have made it cause further confusion by just lead, reading the, the byline, which is like when you read any paper. The paper says, uh, lead is downtown Newark. And then you go further on and read it, and you find out one building had a test that was incorrect. Or the people in Elizabeth don't want Newark's water right. based on this. And then you find but out it's not But if you're looking true. at yourself, you yeah. say to yourself, you know what? A, there was a better way to say that. I wish I hadn't made that quote. I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm just asking you in yeah. learning from this. Sure, there's always a better way to, uh, to say it. I think that uh, because of the confusion that, that it is causing, you know, but to characterize it as uh, us misleading or lying is just not true. Is there a trust-related issue here now, too? In the absolutely. eyes of Sun? Sure, absolutely. And you, and you do what today? I'm a student of leadership. You are a leader. You say what? This is a challenge of regaining the trust of some. You do what now? Well, we continue to solve the problem. And that's what I've been trying to do from the very beginning. That's all we're going to do. We're going to solve the problem. Uh, we're going to move every lead service line out of the city of Newark and surrounding cities, for that matter, that, that uh, you know, access our water, that have lead service lines. We're going to remove them. Even, even when we put responsibility. Why isn't it Bloomfield and these other communities that are it's actually the, from the It's same actually place. the homeowner's responsibility. It's, it's, it's actually the homeowner's responsibility, not the municipalities, because the, the lead service line belongs to the homeowner. But we're taking responsibility for it because we know it's too costly for homeowners to Of course, to they remove. can't afford that. Right, they can't afford it. So the city is taking responsibility for it. We are raising the money for it with the help of uh, the county. and Essex County. By the way, how, that, that loan, $120 million loan, paid off how and by whom? Well, the city has to pay it off over a 30-year period. Does that mean taxpayers? Well, no. We... Initially, it will be, like generally, it would be taxpayers uh, if we did not have another... Like a thousand bucks per citizen, if I'm not mistaken. If we didn't have another source of funding. But we do. We have other sources of funding that would allow us to pay the debt service without raising taxes. You're confident 24 to 30 months from now, Mayor, we will be having a very different conversation about water in the city? Sure. Maybe sooner. And uh, we're doing this even after we put the new orthophosphate, the new corrosion control in the water. So we anticipate that lead levels will begin dropping by the end of the year. Before I let you out here, anyone who says Flint, Newark in the same sentence, you say? I say Flint changed their water source on purpose. They didn't put corrosion control in the water because it was too costly. Ours failed. We were always in compliance with the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Flint was not in compliance with the EPA and, or the, or the uh, DEP, and so Newark was. Mayor Ross Baraka of uh, Brick City, Newark, New Jersey. I want to thank you for joining us and uh, me, sharing your perspective on this. All the best. They're right there. My this friend. has been State of Affairs. Um, we want to continue the conversation, so uh, follow me on Twitter, at Steve Adubato. Make sure we see you next time. Thank you, Mayor. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, RWJ Barnabas Health, NJIT, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825.
PSENG, Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, and by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State, and by Employers Association of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ and by NJ Advance Media. PSENG is building New Jersey's clean energy future. We're working to protect our network against extreme weather, expanding and upgrading transmission lines, and modernizing our natural gas system by installing new, more durable underground pipes. At PSENG, our goal is to make sure you have the safe, reliable energy you need to power your life now and into the future.